Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 270 of Wayne Shipman. Wayne, how are you, buddy? I'm doing absolutely great, man. Now, so excited because... I was talking to you before, like, and it's always nice to have a little chat before we start recording. But um, a lot of times when I do a podcast, Wayne, I have a fair idea where the conversation is going to go. And I was just saying mm. to you before, I'm actually really excited here because for listeners, I don't have questions. I don't I have a couple of dot points, but I really yeah, just like yeah. to see what happens and where this goes. And Wayne, you have an epic story, mate. Like there's so many avenues this could go down, which really intrigues me and excites me. So Let's get to this. What was your childhood like? Let's get well, everything you what just said and like? everything you just said intrigues me about you too. Cause you're like a really high opt you're a high energy optimistic kind of person. And to follow that, yeah, I, I can't fake it, man. So I'm excited about this conversation too, because there's no script. And I'm just hoping that I throw, you know, I throw answers to you that that sounds right. But my childhood, man, you know. I'm in the United States and, and you're over there and it's a very different culture over here. So when I, you know, when I talk about my childhood in, in this country, rough childhoods and rough beginnings are pretty common because our cultural, our cultural belief systems and things that we trust our parents to teach us must come from our parents. We can't get it anywhere else. And back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, where I grew up, my parents just weren't there for me to prepare for the year 2000 and beyond. And so I'm not trying to play a blame game here, but what I'm saying is I came out very ill-equipped for the adult world. Yeah. And I had my rear end handed to me, man, because most things I thought about patriotism and country and, you know, military strength and God and, you know, I got a tattoo of an eagle. I thought that made me a patriotic American. You know? <laughs> I did. I mean, anything red, white, and blue, man, I'm patriotic, you know. But, but Dale, as I got older into the adult world, I realized how less prepared I was. And I can't just ride. This is our message, your message, too. Yeah, once you realize you had such a crap start, you can't just blame that and not recover from it because it's not your responsibility. You can blame anybody else. I hear that in your messages. You can't, you can't just ride the blame game. You got to do something now, right? Yeah. Well, if you you can blame people, but nothing's going to change, Wayne. Like that's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help you. And it's not going to help the person you're blaming. So if you look back at your childhood and you know everything you've gone through, what what do you think or wish that you may have your parents may have taught you? You know, if if they had been more supporting, they'd have been around there. What what do you think might have if they could have given you a couple of tools for your your skill kit of life? What would they be? Or if you had the same opportunity now for telling people that we're going through a rough period, what, what do you think they need to know? Well, the number one thing back then, my parents at the time were so caught up in their own struggles and the struggle of the day uh, that they really didn't notice me enough to actually see what I was experiencing and why I was depressed, why I was disassociated, why I liked sitting in the corner not to be questioned, you know, 
So now we know, I think I'm hearing, and, and some of your, Matt O'Grady was one of your, one of your podcast episodes recently. And he is, he's done like 600 conversations about this kind of stuff. But one thing I heard him talking about was you need, you need kind of a roadmap to navigate now. And the, the, the one most important skill that we must have now is learning rapidly and changing our paradigms as we discover new information, right? Yeah. Right. That's the number one skill. We teach it in corporate. We teach it in school. We teach it in marriage. So if I would have picked up something back then, see, my parents were both in the military at the time, my mother and my stepfather. So pretty much I was in the military, too, for four years. But, you know, pretty much your life is so structured by the military. And so I'm here to say that military etiquette doesn't work at home as a family. Mm. It works for discipline and structure. But when you're sitting around the dinner table, me and my sister didn't care too crap less about what they did <laughs> at the office and who said what and why they yeah. have to wear their PT uniforms on Thursday. But really, that's the dialogue. And so I spent the, the, the 80s literally with my head in the sand. And, uh, you know, I talk very openly, but, you know, I'm an advocate now of uh, mind and, and mind sobriety and mindfulness and um, you know, we hear a lot of the teachers now talking about mind and heart coherence or harmony with your heart and your mind. You think with your mind, but you feel with your heart. And all we're left in this adult world is to feel our way through situations when we don't have the knowledge and the skills. We have to feel our way through, right? So what I discovered later on, Dale, was I had some very serious, uh, like clinical depression, some bipolar anger, like real torrents of anger fits that were uncontrollable unpredictable they were just spontaneously triggered so i came out of a teenage experience of drama and loud arguments and slamming doors and my parents like going for several days not talking to each other and you know and and so me and my sister witnessing all that that's how we mirrored in our relationships so yeah. the first two or three or four girlfriends i had was just a mirror of that drama at home I went into the military, a young mixed up kid, 19 years old. I thought it was patriotic, but see, I was around real people with real kind of emotional intelligence as an adult person. And I was the person in the room that I, I had no idea how to have small talk conversations because I, I wasn't into anything. I had no real background. I had no real interest. I wasn't into mountain, mountain biking. I wasn't into skiing. I was... I didn't have any dialogue. So I thought the military was the only thing I needed for everyone to respect me. Yeah. So that didn't work out. And I ended up getting kicked out of the army because I had such a terrible ego driven chip on my shoulder. It wasn't that I hated authority. It's because man, I was so confused about the world around me that I couldn't, I couldn't actually figure out the adult game, the yeah. adult game of success and corporate and family and, you know, the white picket fence thing. I thought if you were patriotic and an honest person, that success would just come to your lap because you were a good person. Yeah. That's and how that my parents carried on. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and so they, it's sounding, it's sounding like, sorry to cut you off there, Wayne, but it's sounding like, you know, you, you've sort of not really been fitting in from your whole, like from your childhood because you didn't really fit yeah. in your family because they, you know, they had their own agenda. They had their own things going on yeah. and you are just a byproduct of what they'd created. And then obviously when you've got these, you know, clinical depression, you've got bipolar, you've got anger fits. I'm sure 
at school, that would have been really hard to fit in and think how to mm-hmm. have conversations with people and form relationships. And you've gone in the army and you're chasing, you know, appreciation and love from other people because of what you're doing and your title. It's, it's really hard because like you said, you've never been taught just the simple life skills of how are you going, having a conversation. Well, I, you know, I got into the adult years thinking that me being in the military is going to kind of recover my, my respect and relationships among my family, my sister, my parents, my grandparents, aunts and uncles. My mother had like five sisters and I was the first grandson. So if you can imagine being the first boy and six girls in the family. (laughs) Wow. I mean, like ever since my first tricycle, everybody in the family just kind of knew I was going to be like John Wayne, just kind of go out and take things, you know, because I'm the boy that didn't work either, you know, and by the time I got to realizing that we actually have to have a strategy, we don't just, you know, mindful thinking is different than sleepwalking through life. It's how I've kind of learned to put it. If you're sleepwalking through life, you do your job, you do your nine to five, you go to work the same way every day, you get the same pastries in the morning, you come home, you watch the same reruns on TV, you do the same dinner, you got to you gotta Winnebago in the yard and it sits there and you use it four days out of the year and you make payments on it until for 10 years. You know what I mean? We got cars in our driveway that we're going to fix someday. We got a big stomping four-wheel drive truck and it's to impress everyone. But I remember one on that podcast with Matt O'Grady, you know, the one thing he kept talking about, I think his main message was, you have to be clear what happiness is. We want to chase it. And part of your messaging is um, play every day, something, play, be fun, be playful because it changes your attitude, but it it actually resets and resets your, uh, your, your, your intention for the day. If, if you can get up in the morning and kind of be cheerful about the day, your intention about the day is to have a good day. Yeah. I didn't learn about that Dale until I was probably 35, 36, 37 that there's actually a science to pursuing happiness instead of going through the motions every day, waiting for happiness to come. That's where I was stuck. Yeah. That's the lesson I missed. Well, and I think it's a, it's a lesson that I don't, and I don't always blame, you know, our parents or things like that. Like life's a lot easier for a lot of us now because of the struggles that, you know, our parents went through. And I look at my life now, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've had a very easy life compared to so many. Um, so I think that the skill sets that you're just talking about there, Wayne, they they weren't missed, but they weren't a necessity in surviving day to day or week to week. And, and I, I'm sure so many people can relate to that. And it's amazing now that you're able to see that, you know, when you caught up in at the time as a kid or as a teenager or getting kicked out of the army because of not fitting into things, that's, you can't see anything then because you're in the zone, you're a tunnel. You, you can't even see the light at the end. You're like, what's survival? Yeah. Survival. Time, man. So what happened when obviously getting kicked out of the army was not a highlight. Um, what happened next? Well, the end game for, you know, when we talk about this, most people start with, you know, when I was a teenager, then when I was an adult, and then when I found out, and then I got married, and you have to listen for 10 minutes to figure out what they're trying to get to. I realized we all have a wake up moment in life. And um, some people call it uh, the, the, the crossroads, you know, you kind of get to that crossroads. For the first time as a young adult, 
when that crossroads looks so real that it's terrifying. That's the moment when you actually wake up from adolescence and you realize, holy crap, I'm an adult now. Like they've been telling me to be serious. They've been telling me, they've been telling me. And I mean, that was my story, Dale. Uh, I don't want to get too lost in this, but you know, I'm all game and I'm all ears. If you want to go into the, the culture that you're seeing in the United States about the big cannabis rave right now, all the new Delta, Delta eight, nine and 10 products coming out, the vapes, all the stuff. And, you know, over here, I mean, that sounds like it's off topic and it sounds like I'm doing a hyper jump to something off topic, but I discovered marijuana when I was in between what eighth and ninth grade in the summer, like in the summer, having fun. Because, I was just playing, marijuana, I was playing sorry, Yahtzee or something yeah. and somebody lit it's, up a joint, you know, and I'm like, well, I've been smelling it and hearing it and my kid, my friends are kind of doing it, but I was a straight square kid in a military family, you know, but I hated that. I resented it most of everything because I was an explorer. I was a Daniel Boone as a kid. I had a BB gun. I had a, I had a raccoon cap with the tail on it. <laughs> and here I was now I had to clean my room and keep my shoes lined up. And I had to be like, my parents wanted me to be this military kid. Well, anyway, I started realizing the adventure, the adventure of not, being so regimented by your daily routine of rules like 615 you will have your cereal and 645 you need to be ready for your bus and 710 you need to be at the bus stop well after that it's time to like really understand from your parents the meaning of what it is you are trying to achieve by all of this adult-like behavior where there's no more fun i wasn't allowed to have fun and what I started doing was sneaking off because my friends were having fun. But what I didn't realize was once I started smoking that pot and the, by the way, I'm not preaching against it. I'm not an anti-drug guy, but there's a very, there's an explosion in the United States right now of all this stuff. And it brings me back to my roots because I just, I just spent five years, the past five years as a semi truck driver in the United States and so when COVID started from day one, I was already a truck driver doing over the road stuff, like all over the map. I didn't have a, you know, designated. And so until only recently, I've been driving without quarantine, without periods at home. And, you know, my, our companies came out with masks and gloves and ways to deal with it. But what I've seen in this country is I've seen us, I've seen us as a proud patriotic nation fall to our knees in desperation because during covid no one really had answers it it wasn't like okay well you know the mayor's going to come out pretty soon with this relief package and we're all going to go back to work no that didn't happen and a lot of people turned back to the booze the pot the xanax uh you know everything that everything that goes on in our head that we're trying to get away from as an adult is now the only thing we're left with when we're on quarantine and sitting at home trying to entertain ourselves. And we have to start asking questions. How did we get here? Well, I spent, I'm, I tell it on other podcasts. I'm not a podcast host, but I love doing this kind of conversation. And so for 30 years of my life, I'm 54 and 30 years of my life, I've spent heavily sedated by pot, most of it. But after the, uh, military years when i was 23 24 from 23 24 to 34 i was in a cloud 
And I missed most of the most, I missed most of the important moments. And you specialize in this, your moments, you're, you're, you're all about finding those, even if it's 20 seconds or 60 seconds where you just stop and you just breathe quiet and you shut your, your eyes and you make funny noise or you go, <laughs> you do whatever you can do to make yeah, yourself you get do. out of the headspace and just yeah. start relaxing a little more. Right. That's what pot did for me. And so coming from the childhood I started talking about, I found this escape, right? Which was my pot. The problem was, and it goes back to your listeners might be noticing this either with their children or some of the children that they bring over as friends. I was the certain child. I was crying out to every adult trying to get someone to notice me. Yeah. In a way that they could reach me by empathy. We have to have that skill of knowing how someone feels to know how to relate with them. Well, no one knew how to relate with me. So as, as all through high school, man, I'm telling you this, all through high school, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, four years of high school, and maybe only two teachers actually took interest in me. As a student sitting in the back of the room with an ink pen on a denim jacket, drawing marijuana leaves and ACDC logos on my denim jacket in ninth grade. Come on, man. My teachers didn't intervene because it's kind of like they had 30 students per classroom. They're overhead. They're just that kid in the back of the room is quiet, leaving alone. That was me. And so when I got into the military, I was desperate for someone to actually teach me the, the, the skills to navigate adult. I didn't get that. I just got, hey, don't bring that here, soldier. We, we got we to work to do. We can't talk about your girlfriend right now. And so I imploded. And for several years, the only way that I found for myself without having to use very much cognitive effort, I could take a few puffs of that pot. Okay. And that was my little safety go-to thing. The problem is now, 30 years later, I never developed the real skills that you talk about as if it's just common adult skills. Like every adult should be pursuing some kind of happiness, some kind of dream, some kind of goal, some kind of ambition, some kind of purpose. But when you're not, you're sleepwalking, yeah. period. You're, you're just yeah. sleepwalking through this. And I, like I said, it's a, it's a cultural clash between where I'm at in the United States and where you're at. But in the United States, as long as they, I'm not, man, I'm telling you the truth. We are sleepwalking over here in this country. As long as they keep Netflix turned on, and as long as Verizon is still making cell phones, the American public generally is not as concerned with real events as they should be because we can go into our house, we can close the curtains, we got iPads, we got iPods, we got iPhones, we got i this and e that, we got e cigs, we got e this, we got e that. Now we got gummies and we got all these products, the Delta 8s and the Delta 10s and the cannabis products makes it appear so harmless. Dale, I don't know if you guys see. Are you guys seeing this stuff? Is it in your country? Uh, it is. I think it's everywhere, Wayne. Like, I, it's everywhere. What? But uh, I suppose, like, I, yeah. I personally, uh, I don't smoke, and I, I'm not into that. And but, but people are. And and I, what I, what I think you're saying is that everybody wants to pursue happiness. They just don't know where to start. They don't know what their goal right. is, what their purpose is. And like what it happened for you, it was 
it wasn't easier, but you found it straight away with something that you could get anytime you wanted it. Whereas right. other things, you, you'd never been taught that. You'd never had the skills and no. you didn't know where to start. Um, and so I, it's something that, yes, it's everywhere still, mate. People are lost and they don't yeah. know where to start. They don't have the guidance and you didn't have the apprenticeship because your parents didn't teach you how to do it. So it's, yes, I, I see what you're saying, but it's, it is common because it's not just in America. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you've had a rough upbringing or you've had something unfortunate happening or trauma or mental health issues like you have had and haven't been dealt with, but that there's one easy solution to numb things and block out everything else. Yeah. And that's what yeah. you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it goes back to why in the heck is pot so popular? I mean, as soon as you start puffing it, you just start laughing about things. I mean, everything's funny. And a part of the funniness about it is like, it's stupid to laugh at something that is not funny, but we laugh because <laughs> that's what makes it funny. You know what I mean? But dude, I don't want to get carried away on that. But what I'm saying here is, the rest of the world is watching very carefully how the United States handles this new thing, right, coming into our country. And if you look on most of the labels over here, it says for sale in the United States only. Like they're packaged for America. And what I'm, what I'm proud of myself right now and what I hope your listeners get from me talking is all of us will come to an intersection at some point in our life. And when you navigate this intersection, it's the same intersection that keeps coming back, keeps coming back. But every time you come to the same intersection as an adult, you're making adult choices based on responsibility, not what's easy and not what's fun. Yeah. Right. You have to choose the responsibility side every single time, because every time you take the choice of the fun, easy, that intersection comes back around because you didn't take responsibility. And sometime you must. And if you don't, you never will. You will be that guy that goes to your grave, sleepwalking yeah. through life. So, so true, Wayne. And, life. Yeah. And we don't want to be doing that. So let's talk about, because where you're coming from now, mate, you, you can see the world. You've had some really tough decisions. Um, you've got a job, but that, you know, you've got a, you've got a house, you've got a beautiful partner, like life's really good, but it, it wasn't, do you know what I mean? And, and you were homeless. Uh, you were suicidal, you heavy drug use, um, yeah. had mental health issues. Um, when yeah. did, when did you become homeless? Like when, what, what got to the <laughs> stage that, that you, that you, that, that happened? Hey. Because like for, for me, mate, I, I, I feel really, I'm empathetic for people that are homeless, but I can't walk in their shoes. I've never been not, I've always had a home. So I don't know. Yeah. Like how did yeah. that happen? Well, at first it happened quite by coincidence because I was adventure exploring. I was recently divorced in 1998, 1999. I separated from my wife after like eight years. And that was like the third or fourth time we separated. And this time it was like, okay, we're not playing this game anymore just for the kids. Okay. So in 1998, up until 1998, from, from all them adult years, I was living according to what society said I was supposed to do. Now, here we're getting into shattering stereotypes, especially about men. And we, we know what kind of a husband we're supposed to be by what society tells us. We know what si sort of father we're supposed to be. We know what sort of employee at work we're supposed to be. We know what we're supposed to be in all of our social circles. But when it comes back to it, who are you for you? 
when you lay down at night, who are you? And are you okay with what's in your mind when you go on to sleep at night? And I'm, I'm trying to come back to the point here, but we get lost in the stereotype and the belief of the society, which says you have to get all straight A's. You have to, you have to have, you know, a chiseled chin. You have to have a short haircut. You have to have a degree. You have to have a certain thing as a status, which means so, I'm really flattered that you're actually having this conversation with me right now, because what I'm trying to get at is in comparison with most of the people I've heard on your podcast, you don't have really much to check on me, except my fascinating story profile I put up there. But most of the, most of the people you've talked to have extremely successful businesses and, you know, uh, magic there. She survives so many things, you know, she survived so many things that my story pales in comparison to no. other people in certain ways. It does, but, but what I've different. learned is, well, yeah, but what I've learned is that's what makes me an individual. Yes. And hopefully, you know, I think when we listen back to this without having a script, it's hard to stay straight on what we're trying to mean by the words. But what I'm trying to get at is here in America, We've been taught to chase that carrot on the stick all of our lives. Ever since the first day we're born, you know, mommy puts the little blue coat on the boy and the pink coat on the girl. And everybody knows that's a boy and a girl. And then later on, like we just grow into the expectations of our society. What happened to me was because I was so distracted by trying to discover myself as an adult 30 year old person. I became homeless in the pursuit of an adventure across the United States, because when I started going, like, I just start, I just, you know, I've been married 10 years and this crap is just so burdensome to wake up every day, go to the job. I don't like do the thing. I don't like do everything because of responsibility. I must, I must do these things. Well, now I must, I don't have to. So what do I want to do? So when I'm given that choice, this is where I blew up in my mind. This is where the bipolar and the undiscovered mental health problems that I was dealing with, we didn't call it that back then. We yeah. called it a chip on the shoulder. I had an mm -hmm. ego problem. I had an attitude problem at work. Uh, I was a narcissist. You know, I was a narcissist to my beautiful wife. There's all these labels we have, but no one ever gave me the skill to actually negotiate my own feelings long enough to explain exactly what i feel and think to a specialist wow right we That's break so down powerful. in language if if you go in and you cannot explain in language that a therapist can understand they can't pinpoint your your symptoms because it's in your mind if i mm -hmm. go in and i've got a bone sticking out of my leg i don't have to tell them what my symptoms are and they don't have to tell me some diet they know what it is but when so for many, many years, I smoked pot because, number one, this is what I found. I'm going to skip to the end because we're going to run out of time. <laughs> Dale, I found out through my homelessness, the homeless period that I experienced was about three years. What started out was partying, hanging out with other homeless people because in Portland, there's like 6,000 homeless people in the metropolitan area of 2 million people. They're everywhere. There's thousands of them, right? So when I went out there, I was just like, hey, man, I've got an apartment as an maintenance technician. You want to come do your laundry and hang out for the day? And they're like, 
well, yeah, I want to do my laundry and get a shower. And I would take them to my apartment, let them shower, let them do their laundry. I would cook food. And the idea was I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but what I was doing was showing them if you buckle down, if you get yourself back together, if you get back on your feet, this is what it's like, man. You come into your own apartment. I had hardwood floors. You come in, there's artwork on the wall, things you appreciate. There's a project on the kitchen table that I'm working on, some kind of wood project, you know, and there's notebooks and neat things laying around and pictures and things in the wall. Well, a homeless person has forgotten the luxury to like just come in in the morning yawning and you turn on the coffee pot and you just turn on the water and brush your teeth and you go about your day. When you're homeless, it is not like that, okay? And so when I was homeless, sitting on a bench in Portland, looking at you, all of society walking by, I don't know the major cities near you or where you live, but if you just imagine sitting on a bench watching in a metropolitan city, just watching people walking by, there's certain things that no longer make sense about society in concept thinking. And when they're walking by, nothing makes sense about that homeless guy sitting there. Yeah. We know the questions. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you cleaning yourself up? Why don't you get yeah. a job? You know, we're looking at you going, I don't understand. I don't know why I'm here. This wasn't supposed to be my end. I'm patriotic. I'm a father of children. I was in wow. the military. I had a clean cut haircut. I was drug free for 10 years. And at the end, there was a, a supervisor or my ride to work. If I, if I offended my ride to work, I didn't get to get to work. I was on a bicycle there for a while. So I had this absolute no getter ambitious attitude every day, five 30 in the morning on my bicycle. I never missed my bus going to work, but here's where the story changes. You're asking the secret. I didn't become homeless because I couldn't keep a job. I became the homeless person that I was because it no longer made sense to be one of you. My, 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 my general question every day was, what the hell are they chasing? Look yeah. at that guy with his briefcase. He's walking around so stiff. He looks like he's about to trip on his shoes and he's carrying a latte and he's trying to wipe his glasses clean and answer his phone at the same time. He looks like a clown and he's looking at me going, I'm waiting for my bus. Look at that homeless guy. What's wrong with him? He, he ain't, he's sitting there. He don't even have his shoes on sitting at the bus stop. Well, I wasn't at the bus stop waiting for a bus. I was there because the blisters on my feet were bleeding. You know, my feet were bleeding from blisters. They saw some guy kicked in, you know, smoking a cigarette, sitting at a bus stop. So now we're getting into, you know, how we judge people and the stereotypes we have and how we cast our judgment on someone, how they should be. Right. So what I've been trying to get at here is I'm fascinated with learning more about your society, your culture on over there. It's 6 p.m. Monday night where I'm at. And as we speak, it's 8 a.m. in Australia where you're at. So for me, this is like, can you imagine in 1998, <laughs> I had a joint. I, had a, I was rolling a joint waiting on a Greyhound bus out of Bethesda, Maryland. And I didn't really know where I was going. I was generally going to Indiana somewhere. Yeah. And I was generally going to stop in Kentucky. And then I was generally going to go. Well, I ended up in Portland, Oregon. Well, along the way, I had a fantastic journey. It was fun. It was, yeah. I, you know, I, I can sit right now. And if I have a beer with a friend, I can tell them this great traveling story. But the bottom line was I wasn't really going somewhere. Yeah. 
I was just kind of You're spinning finding, my wheels because I didn't have You're a finding yourself? You were finding yourself in a I way. Was. And like, I can I sort of relate to that. I've, I've never really shared this story before, Wayne, but uh, I was 21 or 22 and I came to America for a three-month holiday. We're going to go skiing oh, and here's my pretty yeah. flight. Yes, yeah, I'm telling you right now. But I didn't budget. I'd never done much traveling, particularly out of Asia. Um, and I was in, we're in, New, we're in New York and it, I'd run out of money and we need to get to Las Vegas. And it was, it was cheaper. We wouldn't have to pay for accommodation. <laughs> if we caught a Greyhound bus from New York to Las Vegas, it was 65 hours. Oh my that was, God. So 65 to, changeovers. Oh, mate. So to answer, I, I get a little bit of where you're coming from, from the different unique aspects of America, because when we travel there yeah. as other people, you know, you go to LA, you go to New York, you go to Miami, you go to you know Texas, these places that you don't see that. I did see some things that I was yeah, like, yeah. wow, gas stations through the middle of that 65 hour bus trip through America and people yeah. like smoking in the toilets on the bus. And like, it was, oh, oh yeah, I, it makes me, it makes me cringe thinking about how silly I was to do it, but it's also something I, I can look back on now. So to answer your question, there is, that's why I'm fascinated because we, I live in Victoria, Mel, near Melbourne, um, which is a big city in Australia. Yeah. And then, and there's homelessness everywhere and it's in the city. And the thing is people don't get like, why are you here? What's happened? And it's really interesting that you say that you didn't, you, you could have kept working. You had the choice, but you're like, mm. why are we on that, that wheel of life? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so why are we doing what this? happened when you, when you decided like, I, I don't need to do that. I don't want to be like me or everybody else like yourself now. What, what, what happened? Was it? Well, my father, it, did it free? obviously, you know, I've got three children, two different mothers. And so through the years, I've I've been struggling with the deadbeat dad label in a really bad way. Uh, my children never called me a deadbeat dad, but they've treated me like a deadbeat dad yeah. for so many years because my homelessness had such an effect on my children. And adults can hear this in their own situations. You could say my corporate job had such an effect on my children. Uh, you could say my drinking had such an effect on my children. You could say me being an evangelist trying to go to Algeria and recruit Christians had such an effect on my children. Dude, everything we do has an effect on our children, right? They're sponges. I, yes. Well, maybe we can, you know, follow up in some other content later on. I'm going to be following you whether you know it or not because I'm fascinated <laughs> with what you're doing. Man, you've got, you've got something that everybody kind of talks about that we want, but we're chasing what you have, Dale. And, and kind of what I found out was the effect I had on my children didn't affect me at the time because I wasn't mm -hmm. concerned with how my children felt about me. The divorce problem was not between me and my children. It was me and my wife. And so I didn't see myself as a deadbeat dad by, I never pushed a shopping cart. And in three years, I never peddled for change. I never asked for anything. The only thing I asked for was where do I get dinner tonight? How do I sign up for a, you know, a bed over the weekend. But I mean, I was using the homeless services. What I'm trying to tell you is I got to a point now I've done several podcasts, you know, this past year, I've got like nine or 10. I've, I've been a guest nine or 10 times on podcasts. So I don't want to wear this topic out as much, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the point where 
you ask the question, why did I snap out of it? Basically, right? Why did yeah, I say, of well, of course, like chasing the corporate dream is kind of, you know, lame at the end. If you if you don't win the game, you've just spent 40 years of your life chasing an illusion. Building someone that's else's translated, dream. That's translated for why did I give up and just go be a homeless guy? Because, you know, first of all, if you've hung around with some of the homeless people, the homeless image you have is this disgusting man that stinks and he pees on himself and he's pushing all of his belongings. But some of the most fascinating and interesting people I've ever met were people that had literally no possessions. And their identity was not based on anything except who you see is what you get. You sit here and have a conversation with a homeless person. Once you get past their, their kind of depression about being homeless, there's nothing to compare each other to except how are you doing as a human in the human family? How are you doing mm. there? Check yourself. Stop and think about it. And so what I found one day, and this is in one of my podcasts, and I, can't, I don't have time to elaborate right now, but I had a complete emotional breakdown to the point where visibly in a public place where there was a few hundred people, a busy, crowded place, and I was trying to cross an intersection. I was standing there waiting for the light to change, having a bad day. I looked like I had been sleeping in the woods for a long time because I was, but I'd walk to town and do my thing and walk back to the woods. I'm standing there and I saw my reflection in one of those mirrored business buildings. It's one of them gigantic. If you stand there and look up, it looks like the sky is, you know, it looks like the building is falling, but it's not. It's the sky moving. For the first time in a long time, I noticed what I actually looked like from head to toe. And brother, I freaked out. I mean, I, I kind of went through a transition of mental anguish and shock at the same time, because what I saw was, I wasn't just a dirty person because I'm sleeping in the woods. What I saw was I completely lost my identity as a patriotic American person, proud to be a father, proud to sacrifice anything I got to do to pay my family bills. I was willing to work two and three jobs and do a hustle on the weekends as long as it was legal. And I still couldn't cut it. I couldn't cut it. And so later on, when I'm just hanging around with these homeless people and I finally just started kind of associating with them, I didn't become a homeless person because I couldn't find a job. I became a homeless person because I couldn't function with everyone else in society well enough to keep a job long enough to actually build financial stability. Every time I would get to where I could rent an apartment, buy furniture, start putting curtains on the windows, I was already having some kind of mental relapse of bipolar or depression or angry or anxiety or some kind of meltdown because of me and my kids' relationships or whatever. I couldn't keep a job because I couldn't function mentally well enough to focus and make decisions based on skills that we learn as adults. It goes back to that, doesn't it? Well, and kids, so, like so, the, uh, the skills you didn't so learn as a kid I, either. Well, yes. When I saw this image in the mirror, it wasn't just me that I saw. For the first time that day, I saw an image, a thumbnail picture that you could put on the face of any one of those 6,000 people. I became one of them now. My identity had changed to where getting a job, have, living in an apartment and impressing everyone weekly by paying my bills didn't make sense to the point where it made me ill to think that I would just spend the next years of my life chasing an illusion. 
Because when my dream, when my dream marriage ended in a divorce, obviously I was chasing an illusion. But the reason it ended in divorce is because I didn't have the skills to be a good husband or a good father or a good person at work. And so what I saw that day was my anguish, my, my anguish came over me as a shame. If you followed Brene Brown recently, mm. she has put language and words and explanations to what shame really is and how it works yeah. on us psychologically. I didn't realize at the time, but the reason I was homeless is because I was consumed with shame and guilt because I've wasted 30 years of my life, literally, and I'm walking around with a backpack eating a banana or a peanut butter jelly sandwich from a homeless mission, and I had no plans for tomorrow. And so when I saw wow. myself in that mirror, I said, I, dude, I can't go into it now, but I cussed, I cussed myself. I yelled. I was throwing shadow boxes at the window. I was flipping myself off. And I didn't realize until I was really heated into this, there's many people standing around and everybody kind of went when the light turned green to walk across the intersection. And whoever was in that room, the office people that was in that room, <laughs> they must have thought I was coming in there to go postal or something, dude. I'm standing outside on the sidewalk. Just, I'm yelling at myself so much. I'm like spitting on the window, like using the F word. Because my dream had been stolen from me, dude, in such a way, I was identified as a patriotic person from teenage years. Like I started telling you, mm. I went into the military to be a military man. I came out a loser because they wouldn't work with me and help me understand my adult emotional problems. They needed a soldier. So there I was, 35 years old-ish. I saw myself as, as a culmination of 35 years of wasted time. And I turned out to be this absolute loser of a father for these children who deserve something better. And their life now has been cushioned because a man named Daniel married their mother when they were young teenagers. This man, Daniel, married my ex-wife during the same time I was on my homeless gallivant across the country. My children needed a stable home. And it wasn't like they didn't have one because I left. They didn't have a stable home because when I was home, I was yelling at everybody and slamming doors like I saw my mom do, my dad. And so my children went into this relationship with Daniel, who was their stepfather, remarried the mother, confused, angry, bitter. This man took the task. And so he took the task not only to have the woman and have a relationship with her, but he said, I'm all in. Your children are hurting. Your children are confused. I'm not going to be their dad, but I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be, I'm going to let them see what it's like to have a man figure in the house, not as a disciplinarian, but as a man, a confident person in the house so that everyone else can just kind of relax and, and have their place in the family. Mm -hmm. And now years later, this has transcended now where I could not interfere with his relationship with my children if I wanted to. And I don't want to. Because when I was so messed up and confused and doped up and didn't give two craps where I ended up in the future, he was dedicating himself mercilessly to be the father they needed to be. Mm. And this now, hearing me say that sounds like I'm really laying on the butter and trying to get some brownie points. Nah, not at all. I'm not going to go into it. Well, the backstory is only until last Father's Day, 2021, I was not able to let them words come out of my mouth. Well, good on you there for being so able much, to say that, Wayne. Well, yeah, there was so much kind of hint of jealousy because I wasn't jealous of him as a man. I was jealous of what he inherited by me leaving 
Yeah. And when I left out of there, I kind of showed my turkey feathers on the way out. Yeah. And so to this day, to answer your question, I'm not really an example of someone that has, you know, completely changed my life and got myself back together. And I've earned the respect of my children. Hey, all three of my children are now 30, 31, 32, something like that. They're, each one of them have two grandchildren. So now there's six grandchildren. And so, you know, the long story was you asked me, what was it that snapped me out of it? I went through a process of hell transition in my mind. And what happened was I realized my children have lost all confidence for me as a father and as a grandpa for their children. But what I'm hoping is I can get myself back together so that the legacy is my grandchildren will obviously have an interest in who I am eventually, hopefully. And when they start looking into my life, Dale, I hope to leave breadcrumbs for them to find how I put the pieces back together. And now by me doing these podcasts, this conversation, kind of the reason is, is not for me. It's that responsibility that I talked about. I feel like as an adult person now, 54 years old, and I realized how much of my life I just completely blew up. I feel like I have a responsibility, even though this is uncomfortable for me, man. It's, it's exciting and cool. But I mean, if you do any fact checking, I better know what I'm talking about to make statements. But all of the teaching that you're talking about, finding moments of happiness and joy each day, those moments used to be pictures of my children. I used to yeah. carry them in my wallet. Those moments used to be me chanting at night, you know, I, I would, I would relive some of those moments, you know, reading some of the, you know, the, the, the books back when they was kids, you know, the, I can't think of his name now, but the, the green eggs and ham character, Dr. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Dr. <laughs> Dr. I used oh, to love Zeus. them books, man. Yes, Dr. <laughs> Zeus. And we used to sit and watch a black and white TV and we used to watch Star Trek, you know, and watch Captain Kirk beat up the monster. Well, now my children are having children and they're not asking me for their life advice, you know, and the re and, and so this man, Daniel, a part of what I'm trying to promote is, and I hope, you know, this goes out as paying it forward into the universe. We must be willing as fathers, whether we consider ourselves a failure as a father, or we have caught on too late in life, we have an obligation now to respect the stepfathers that have stepped up in our places because they had to. And mm. on father's day, I've learned finally not to spend all of the weeks and days before Father's Day getting my hopes up because on Father's Day, Father's Day belongs to him. If I get a text message that says, Happy Father's Day, I'm a blessed man because not long ago, I almost ended my life. So all of the days that follows my homeless period has been something I never bargained for. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have got this lucky, man. I shouldn't have got this blessed. But somehow... The universe gave it back to me. And I'm not trying to sound too spiritual, but I did learn about spirituality. And a couple of your podcast hosts, they talk about meditation and, you know, self-mindfulness, getting to know yourself. That's where it had to start, Dale. I had to learn why I feel the way I feel, why I think the way I think, why. You know, when you say be patriotic, be spontaneous, get crazy, be playful. All of these things mean nothing to someone sitting there holding. I was just sitting there with my cheek on my hand, letting the drool run out of my mouth because I was so dumbfounded at my mistakes. So now that I've learned how to correct my mistakes, I can't tell you that I got my children back. I'm working on this, but it's a relationship 
that was literally destroyed by my anger and the things I was saying to them, I was hurting. So I hurt them. I was mm. depressed and angry. So I said things to make them depressed and angry. That's what I was doing. I didn't know that then, but now I speak openly about it as a warning to fathers. Uh, you will never, ever feel satisfied at night when you lay your head on the pillow. If you don't just surrender and find yourself in your center, not everyone else's, not society. And if, you know, if you're doing the dope and the booze and the pills, you must find a way to come out of the cloud long enough to figure out really who you are and really what you want as a purpose in life. And if you do that long enough, your purpose will be given to you. If you don't do that, you will never have one. I feel like I'm taking all oh, your time. No, but you'll never no, have I, one, dude, if you don't no, pursue you, it. You, you're not taking I'm just sitting back here because what you're saying is, you know, you, hopefully your kids will come around, but if they don't, they don't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and the reality is they may not. But by hey, what they you're love doing, me as an adult, but not as a yes, father. Yeah, and 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 do you know what? I'm they okay may with that. Allow I'm you okay. to be a grandfather, and that's a huge win. Yeah. But what you're I'm doing learning. by sharing, yeah, I'm sure you do, Wayne. What you're doing by sharing your story is is helping other people. So you sharing your story by getting so vulnerable, and you are like you've shared things today that. I wanted to hear because for me personally, I've got no idea what it's like for that homeless person I see. I, I'd love to know, but I don't. And you wonder how you go about it, how you get out of it, what makes them get there. And this is what's important. You sharing things like you shared today, mate, because otherwise it's not going to change. There is that divide. There's that gap and you've got yeah. to shrink that gap. And that's what you're doing. So um, before I let you go um, and, Congratulations too, mate. Like I know you're not doing it for praise, but to be able to turn it around, like I, that's hard work. And I think nobody, everybody listening out there has got that period, like you say, a crossroad in their life or a roundabout or whatever you want it to be. It's hard work to get out of that. It's easier to keep it doing is. what you're doing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're homelessness, you're not enjoying your job, you're in a relationship that mm. isn't serving you or you look in the mirror and you don't love the person you see. It's bloody yeah. hard work to change that, Wayne. So first of mm. all, well done, mate, for not only getting out of that, improving your life, but sharing it now to help others. It's, it's very amicable, mate. It's incredible. Is there one message before I let you go that just to what you wish people would understand about homelessness. If, if there's something you haven't yeah. mentioned yet. Well, there's two things that people must know. And then a final parting message of hope. Number one thing is no matter where you will find homeless people, you're in Australia. I'm in the United States. I've been a semi truck driver for five years, dude. And I'm telling you, I've driven at least like 600,000 miles back and forth across this country. Every homeless person that I've ever met, is one of us. What I'm telling you is no matter where you find them, no matter what city, what village, what town, what country they're in, they're in your community. In my city, I'm in the United States. So it doesn't matter what city I'm in. When I meet a homeless person, I'm meeting one of our citizens that don't have a home. It's one of ours in our community. A long time ago, and I did a podcast about this recently, I'm going to talk fast and wrap it up. Back in the Roman era, there was a time when metropolis the word metropolis was actually not just a big city metropolis was more like a status symbol to live in that community what it meant was you didn't just stay in the house because you had a big grand house 
you were a part of the community because your commitment to the community is what made the community grow and thrive. Everybody that stays home and really does nothing except their job and pays the bills helps the economy, but they don't do nothing for their own home community. If you're out sweeping the sidewalks, picking up litter, trimming tree limbs, talking to the children, chasing the ice cream man, and you meet a homeless guy, you treat that homeless guy as if he is a person in your community that might need help. The second thing is all of us are in this together, whether we like it or not. Just because they are the homeless and we are here, when COVID happened, the services were closed. It's probably like a 10 or 20% staff, salaried staff that runs those facilities and 80% volunteers. So when the volunteers could not show up to work because of COVID or because it was mandatory for them not to have contact with the public, the homeless services were ended. The homeless had no backup. They had no backup plan. They didn't have anywhere else to go. They were then treated like a segment of society that we could not do anything about. I don't accept that. I don't think there's any such thing in our society that we can't do something about. But the last thing is, Dale, your voice and my voice is kind of going out across the oceans. And we're trying to say the same thing. Like, it's not about, it, it has nothing to do with what country you're in or what language you speak. We're all in one community and COVID taught us that. Every country in the world had to stop their their tanks and their trucks they had to stop long enough to get a game plan together and the only way that we won over covid what we did win the challenges the only way that we did win is we pulled together as a single community borders and boundaries meant nothing and so we are on the way i'm i'm an advocate at heart you're an advocate at heart if you have compassion for people in need you're an advocate in some way so yes even though they are out there and there are tens of thousands of them we are working behind the scenes we're doing conversations like this and you know thousands of people are working on backpacks and cookies for the homeless but for you and i it's important to keep everybody focused on what a community is mm. and what our purpose is in the community and you know, if you feel like right now you don't have your voice, then, you know, pay attention to us that do. But eventually the voice will come and you'll know what your message is. But you must try and do something. If you do nothing, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. So true. Now, Wayne, I'm going to try and sum up what we've spoken about today and what you're doing. You know, I think it comes back to kindness. One word. And first of all, you need to be kind to yourself. And that's what you do now because you figured out what you need and what it takes to be kind to yourself. And then one way to find your purpose and feel belonging in your community and actually give back and feel bloody good about yourself is do service or kindness for other people. And that is all it is. I feel that is all we need at the moment. If you're lost, do some work for yourself. Be kind to yourself. Talk nicely to yourself. Look after yourself, but then the other thing goes, give back to other people because it uplifts you. It makes you both feel amazing. Um, Wayne, oh, brilliant chat. And, um, mate, I reckon we need to have another chat because I think there's still more we can digest of what we've spoken about yeah. today. But as a whole, keep doing what you're doing because sharing your message as hard as it is um, and uncomfortable, that's when mm -hmm. change happens. When people can hear an uncomfortable situation and what you've come yeah. from, you know, your upbringing, military, homelessness, turning it all around now and just wanting to be a good person. That's all yeah. we need to hear in life. So, Wayne, mate, thank you so much for your time and energy today. I really appreciated it.
I love this, man. I'm glad to have this conversation and I love what you're doing. And you got me in your back pocket, whether you know it or not, I'm coming with you somewhere. <laughs> I was signed up to do a TED talk recently. I put the application, I did the audition and everything, but you know what? I didn't do anything wrong as performing my audition, but the message that I have and the passion that I drove to them in three minutes of my audition, I kind of laid it a little too heavy on them about the obligation yeah. we have as a community. And, but they didn't judge me. I think I didn't get the opportunity this time because, you know, when they put together them TED Talks, there's a certain theme that they're trying to put together by, by bringing speakers in. And yeah. I just wasn't in that theme. So I'm actually dressed. I'm dressing for the next audition and the next, Good. but I hope to get my TED Talk in about this. Well, I, I think it'd be really important. And that's the beautiful thing about a TED Talk is that yeah. – uh, people watch them and it makes an impact mm -hmm. and yours is one that people need to hear. So I look forward to that day, Wayne. Thanks so much for yeah. your time, mate.